Welcome to the new WellMed Radio, a service of WellMed Medical Management. Over the next half hour, WellMed Radio will educate you about the health and wellness of adults everywhere. Co-hosts Dr. Marissa Charles and veteran broadcaster and attorney Ron Aaron will share information to improve your health and well-being. Here are Ron Aaron and Dr. Marissa Charles. Well, thank you so much for joining us today on WellMed Radio. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host, Dr. Marisa Charles, and we love sharing with you, the audience, all kinds of issues and topics that we deal with. Today, we're going to talk in just a few minutes about hypertension. Let's welcome our very special guest, Dr. Ricardo Pedraza. He's at the WellMed at South Cross Clinic here in the greater San Antonio area. Dr. Pedraza is a physician who graduated, uh, earned his medical degree from UT Health San Antonio Long School of Medicine, completed his internal medicine residency at UT Health San Antonio, grew up in Laredo, and uh, he, like uh, Dr. Charles, wound up in the great uh, city of San Antonio, Texas. And Dr. Pedraza, it's great to see you. Thanks for coming on with us. Thank you. Thank you for having me. What was your interest in talking about hypertension? And I'm assuming, like Dr. Charles, you see a lot of that in your practice. Give us the 411. What is hypertension? Yeah, so hypertension is a sustained elevated blood pressure on a multiple uh, readings uh, via systolic uh, blood pressure over 130 uh, and diastolic over 180. There's different guidelines that you can go by. I have some guidelines say uh, systolic blood pressure over 140, uh, but it's uh, either way, it's a very common diagnosis that I see in clinic that I've seen in you know, since medical school up to now. Uh, so it's definitely one that I like to talk about because one that if detected early can be controlled for for a while, but if not, then it could cause a lot of problems. Now, when I was a kid growing up, and I'm sure you all heard this as well, uh, it was called the silent killer. If you had high blood pressure, if you had hypertension, you really didn't know until you dropped dead. I mean, that's why we check. Yeah, that's why we check blood pressure every single visit, every time. And what is it about hypertension, Dr. Pedraza, that can be life-threatening? Well, it can lead to, it can increases, uh, greatly increases the str- uh, risk of uh, developing strokes, for instance. Uh, I think it's the number one risk factor. So if blood pr- um, elevated blood pressure for years and doesn't get treated or even diagnosed, it could lead to a, a stroke. And when I was at the hospital, that's how a lot of people found out. Like once after they had a stroke, that's how they found out, oh, I have high blood pressure. Uh, so definitely that's one. It could increase your risk of having heart problems, so heart attacks, uh, among other uh, heart failure, among a, a bunch of other different uh, problems that can happen with elevated blood pressure. Now, I know the top and bottom numbers. Uh, when I was a kid, again, if you had the 120 over 80, you were great. Uh, and, and then that upper number crept up. If you were 130, 140, and you were a senior, no big deal. Where are we now? What do you target uh, for your patients, Dr. Pedraza, and then Dr. Charles? Oh, yes. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, so the systolic range, uh, blood pressure between 120 and 130 would be from the most recent uh, uh, cardiology guidelines would be a pre-hypertension. And then from 130 onwards would be already hi- classified as stage one uh, hypertension. So that changed recently, uh, but that's the best. That's, it's been shown that if you treat at that stage, uh, you could reduce cardiovascular mort- mortality, heart problems uh, down the line if, if you lower the threshold. And Dr. Charles? No, yeah, that's correct. I agree. Um, now in our, you know, very senior seniors, sometimes we're a little bit less aggressive, but we generally want to keep that upper number, the systolic blood pressure, um, less than 140 is a good recommendation. And then the bottom number, the diastolic blood pressure, less than 90. 
So that's typically the range that we try to titrate people's medications so that we can get them right around there. Um, but technically, yes, once you're above 130 on that top number consistently, then you do have a diagnosis of high blood pressure or hypertension. Uh, is one number more important than the other? Is uh, the uh, systolic number really the important one? Hang on a minute, because those of you who may join us uh, just now, I want to let you know you're listening to WellMed Radio. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host, Dr. Marisa Charles, and our special guest is Dr. Ricardo Pedraza. He's at WellMed at South Cross, and we're talking about hypertension. So, Dr. Uh, uh, Pedraza, uh, is that top number really the, the king that's the one that I use. Uh, that's the one that's easiest to keep track of and fluctuates the most. So it's, it's much easiest to remember that top systolic number. So that's what I use mostly. And can the lower number, Dr. Charles, be too low? Uh, can you go to, you know, 62, 63, 58, 55? So, I mean, again, you know, if you're a little dehydrated, if you're ill, sometimes that blood pressure can be a little bit lower. Um, our goal is to keep it somewhere between 60 and 89 is typically a good range to keep it in. And some people, you know, are maybe very athletic and, and tend to have lower blood pressures. And, you know, that's not necessarily a bad thing, but, um, you know, maybe into the one into the 50s on that bottom number. But if it gets too low, most people will start to feel bad. They'll start to get lightheaded. They'll start to feel dizzy. Um, especially when they first stand up, they might have a hard time keeping their balance and it increases the risk of falls. So we generally don't want to get it too low either. I had a friend, uh, a physician in Washington, D.C., who used to tell me uh, the only problem with a really low blood pressure is you can faint in front of a bus and get killed. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> it's the, people don't tend to feel so good. You know, they tend to be mm-hmm. a little lightheaded. But heart-wise, it's, you know, and for for kidneys, for example, um, you know, it's, it's all right if we have it a little bit lower. Um, but again, acute drops, like if it was, if it's normally pretty high and it drops suddenly, that also can be bad. Well, Dr. Pedraza, uh, talk to me a little bit about medication. How do you know uh, when a patient needs medication to deal with hypertension uh, and, and how do you des- decide what to prescribe? Yeah. So first, my first option would try, I would try my very best to, um, First, try non-pharmaceutical approach. Uh, so if the blood pressure is over 140, if it's 10, about 10 millimeters of mercury, if it's 10 units above gold, then you try the, the not using medications first. You know, try the different type of changing diet or losing weight first. Now, if it's uh, blood pressure is over 20 millimeters of mercury or 20, uh, like if it's much higher than that, then it's most likely to respond first to, to medical, medical therapy. And talk to me about food. You mentioned a change in diet. Uh, as Dr. Charles pointed out, uh, we have a large Hispanic population in uh, South Texas and San Antonio, certainly in Laredo, where you grew up in Zapata, where Dr. Charles grew up. Uh, and uh, f- for a long time, just like I grew up Jewish, uh, man, if you didn't get enough chicken schmaltz fat in your diet, you really weren't eating and enjoying it. Similar challenge when it comes to some of the traditional foods in a, a Latino family. Oh, yeah. So, yes, yeah, so the, there's the different diets that you could try. Um, a lot of times we hear, oh, decrease your salt intake, which is important, definitely. You want to reduce the amount of salt you take. That's uh, easier said than done, but you can definitely want to decrease about two grams, about a limit of two grams of sodium a, 
a day. But the other way is, you know, there's a, the DASH diet, which is increasing your fruit intake, uh, decreasing your, uh, you know, red meat intake and fats, saturated fats. That, that's been shown to improve blood pressure up to 10 units. I think for a lot of people, it can be confusing and really yes. like fruits and vegetables are your friend. You know, you want to have fruit, you want to have vegetables, foods that are very processed. So things that you can get very fast through the, um, you know, through the driveway line. Um, those are not foods that are going to be all that good for blood pressure, like the burgers and the French fries and the bacon and, you know, so many foods that that tend to be pretty common. Um will really push those blood pressures up. And so generally, you know, you want to stick with salads, you want to stick with, um, you know, uh, lean meats, your grilled chicken, your fish, those are all good things to be eating on the regular basis. You know, we, I often tell my patients, like shop the outside of the, of the store, um, meaning the, the vegetables, you know, the meats, you know, and the dairy on, on the other side, but all those processed foods on those middle aisles tend to have a lot of sodium and that's just, it has sodium in it. You don't have to add any more. I, I love the uh, commercials for some of the fast food chains. They seem to com compete for how much bacon they can squeeze into every single sandwich, more bacon, thicker bacon, more bacon, fat bacon, big bacon. Uh, and the reason they do that is we love bacon. People <laughs> love bacon, right? Yeah. Sure. Absolutely. Um, so, Dr. Pedraza, what else do you tell your patients regarding diet? Yeah, so as, 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 uh, as you all mentioned, uh, so really avoid, you know, the fast foods. Uh, that has a lot of sat problems with, like, saturate, saturated, unsaturated fats and uh, Salt is a big problem too with those uh, eating and eating out. So I always try to uh, emphasize, uh, you know, making food at home where you have control over what you actually are putting in your body. And then also, uh, you know, as I mentioned, reduce the salt intake, uh, increase your fruits, vegetables, uh, fiber intake, all of that. That that helps. And weight loss, definitely. Uh, losing weight helps uh, reduce that average blood pressure reading you're going to have. Yeah, but that's easier said than done. It yeah. seems to me. When you're in your 20s, you can lose weight just by thinking about it. When you're 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, it gets tougher and tougher to lose weight. Why is That's that, very difficult, yes. Why is it harder the older you get? I mean, habits, right? You know, people get used right. to eating a certain way. They get used to eating a certain amount, whether they're hungry or not. Like, you know that this is the amount that you're normally going to eat and you know, that your body, you need to listen to those cues. You know, a lot of times you're full, you know, with half of the things that you put on your plate, but we served it on the plate. So we keep eating. So um, I think habits are hard to break. And I it's habits. Guilty. That, oh, yeah. I was so guilty about the number of kids the, I was killing in China, but not finishing what right, I was eating. The clean plate club. Exactly. Yeah. Now stick with us. We're going to come right back to you. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host, Dr. Marisa Charles. We're talking with Dr. Ricardo Pedraza, graduate of UT Health Med School, did his residency here as well, and he's at WellMed at South Cross. You're listening to WellMed Radio. 
Imagine getting control of your chronic health conditions. For 30 years, WellMed has helped patients with diabetes, heart disease, and other special care needs to live as healthy as possible. We want to be on your journey to take control of your health. Choosing a chronic special needs Medicare Advantage plan may offer more benefits for your unique health needs and can put you with the WellMed network of doctors. Learn more at discoverwellmed.com or call 866-292-0375. Bacon. I've been thinking about bacon as we talk about it. it. It's so embedded in all of our minds. I'm Ron Aaron. You're listening to WellMed Radio. Dr. Marisa Charles, our co-host, is here, and we're delighted to be on the air with Dr. Charles and with our new best friend, Dr. Ricardo Pedraza. He's at WellMed at South Cross, grew up in Laredo, and he's even been through uh, Dr. Charles's hometown of Zapata, uh, traveling here and there to visit family in South Texas. We're talking about diet and hypertension, high blood pressure. And the reason I'm dreaming about bacon is we talked uh, just a few minutes ago about how many of the fast food chains compete with how much bacon they can fit into one single sandwich. We've got six slices. We have 10 slices, more bacon than the law should allow. And it turns out if uh, these two folks had their way, Dr. Pedraza and Dr. Charles, we wouldn't eat very much bacon at all just a little taste from time to time. So Dr. Pedraza, uh, we were talking about medication uh, just a few minutes ago about how you decide what it is that may help somebody control their blood pressure. Uh, and, and there are a couple of families of medication. Can you go through that for us? What are we talking about? Yes, there's three big classes uh, for um, initiating um, uh, medical therapy for hypertension. The first one would be the ACE inhibitors or, or, or angiotensin receptor blockers, uh, ARBs. Uh, so, you know, like lisinopril, uh, then, then for the ARBs, it would be more like losartan and that family of class of medications. Uh, then you have the calcium channel blockers. Uh, the two most common ones would be like an amlodipine or an ifedipine. Uh, then the other class would be the thiocytes, di- diuretics, so like uh, hydrochlorothiazide or HCTC, chlorthaladone would be the more common ones given. Uh, it really, in, in terms of which one you pick, uh, you have to tailor it to the patient. Uh, some some medications have specific side effects that you want to avoid in certain in, in patients. So you, you talk about with, we talk about it. I would talk about it with them. Go over which one they want to do. A lot of times I start with amlodipine if there's no other uh, risk factors, um, but if there are like someone with diabetes and blood pressure, hypertension, and maybe an ACE or an ARB, like lisinopril or sartan would be a good starting one. It depends on the patient. Now, I think some of those ACE inhibitors uh, generally give some folks a cough, do they not? Yes. That's a possible side effect, yeah. So if the, that happens with any of the ACE inhibitors, you can't, you can't give that medication. You could switch to a different class. And do the classes have the same effect? How do they control blood pressure? Yeah, so uh, the ACE and ARBs work on the kidneys. They work on the, angi- the renin-angiotensin-aldosterone uh, system. So they work on the kidneys by, su- by suppressing that. And then the calcium channel blockers work essentially to dilate the blood vessels. That helps reduce the blood pressure. And the uh, thiocyte uh, diuretics, essentially you're urinating a lot more, changing the way the kidney uh, filtrates to help reduce the blood pressure. And folks who are on a diuretic uh, obviously pee a lot. Yes, so that's going to happen. So I, I try to uh, tell my patients that they expect to urinate a lot more if you're going to have that. 
So you may they need to drink a lot more fluids to help uh, with the balance. Oh, so you're flushing all that water out, so you got to drink more water? Well, there are, there's possibility of dehydration within that can cause some problems too. So that's what uh, I would I recommend if you're going to start on, on the thiocyte. Now, I like when you said when we started talking about medication, you try first to control blood pressure without medication. But what about exercise? You mentioned diet. Can exercise play a role as well? And I'm looking at an ear-to-ear smile from Dr. Charles. So, uh, Marisa, exercise can help? I mean, those are usually our first recommendations. So if you've not been very active, you've been sitting on the couch, oh my goodness, get up, go for a walk. You know, uh, sometimes a little bit makes a big difference. So, you know, starting with 10 or 15 minutes, if that's all you can commit to. But um, walking is generally very, very good idea and can make a difference um, for the blood pressure. Now, if you... um, for example, participate in some of our senior centers. They have tons of classes and such fun um, activities that you can do to stay active. Um, If you're quarantining or staying at home, you can do videos. You can um, do videos where you can walk away the pounds that just um, help encourage you to to stay active as well. Or sometimes I'll just tell people, heck, turn on the radio and dance in the kitchen. Dance like nobody's watching. Mm -hmm. How about you, Dr. My wife and I used to watch a... uh... A, a walking exercise video. And what has stuck with me, uh, and this is several years ago, was a comment that the uh, uh, video hostess said, and that was, nobody after the exercise says, gee, I'm sorry I exercised. That's right. That's right. Mm-hmm. It, you know, releases endorphins. You feel good. And yeah, Dr. Uh, yeah, Dr. Pedraza, go ahead. I was going to say that exercise has been shown uh, many times that it's uh, great for cardiovascular health. So the recommendation is about 30 minutes a day, five days out of the week, uh, moderate intensity exercise. So that could be walking, but a good amount of walking, for instance, that goes a long way to reduce your blood pressure about an average of five millimeters of mercury, about five units. But it's great exercise. I always recommend it for many benefits, including blood pressure. What role does genetics play in all this? Uh, if you have parents, uh, and, and most of us growing up never knew about blood pressure, never knew what our parents' blood pressure was, we're getting more knowledgeable now. If your folks have high blood pressure, are the odds are that you will? Uh, yeah, it's, it's most likely. It's, it's definitely been shown that it's a genetic component to it. Uh, a lot of uh, patients will say, oh, my my, fam- my mom or my dad has it too, so it's, it's, or my siblings have it too, so it it's, uh, tends to run in the family, yes, unfortunately. And Dr. Charles, you see the same thing, right? I do. I do. We do tend to ask about family history and often we'll be more concerned in patients who will tell us that their parents had high blood pressure or especially if their parents had heart disease young. You know, those are also people we want to be um, a little bit more careful with and making sure that we go ahead. No, that, that we look for the high blood pressure and that we treat it appropriately. Very often parents don't share that with their kids. They don't talk about their health. They don't want to scare them. I mean, yes, you know, and that's true. And of course, the more open you can be with your kids, the better, because it does, you know, your health affects them as well. So, um, you know, I find most people will remember, you know, yeah, I think my mom was taking something for blood pressure. They may not remember what or, you know, anything like that, but definitely um, is good to communicate that with your kids. So if you tend to not you know, involve your kids in your medical care, that's probably something you should consider. And Ricardo, when you think about 
hypertension and blood pressure when you first get a new patient in. But what are the kinds of questions you ask to figure out what their lifestyle is like? Well, yeah, I ask them. Uh, I ask them if you know if how often they uh, you know they check your blood pressure at home if they have the equipment to do that. If and then in terms of lifestyle, I, I ask them what their diet is to describe a a, a breakfast, a lunch, or a, a dinner for me. And then also see how much exercise they do. And I try to get specific with what they actually uh, are exercising with. Or like some of them will tell me, I use an indoor bike, but for how long? Or I go walking, but how, how long do you walk for? And how, how, much, how fast are you going? You know, that, that, that is what I tend to try to ask right away to see what their day to day life is. And, and do you think the patients are honest with you about that? <laughs> I hope so, yes. <laughs> What do you think, Dr. Charles? Maybe. Yeah, I think most people, I mean, there are definitely people that are, you know, that like, for example, I do have patients that swear they take medicine, every their medicines every single day and they bring me their bottles from three full. months ago and they're full. So, right. you know, are, are you sure you're taking it every single day? You don't mm -hmm. think you miss not even once? And they're like, nope, I take it. So, you know, mm -hmm. patients that tend to do that, I may be a little less confident in how much they're telling me is true. But um, I think most people do try to be honest, you know, and they'll say like, no, I really haven't had a chance or I haven't made, you know, the, the, the right changes to start exercising i think that one's a big hurdle like getting people to actually commit um to getting active and staying active you know it, it, there's something about you know especially here in texas and i'm sure florida may be similar but people drive everywhere you know some of the bigger cities you have it's it's more conducive to people walking places so um around here it's not we you know i see somebody walking down the street you're like hey do you need a ride are you okay you know <laughs> You figure something's wrong, right? You figure something's wrong because, I mean, the heat can be so overwhelming, too. I mean, at least down in, on the border south where I grew up, like you people just don't really walk places um, because of the heat, I think, and because uh, the layout of the cities just don't really, they're not conducive to that. I worked for a period of time in uh, midtown Manhattan, and you walk. You walk everywhere. Uh, you certainly could take the subway from time to time, but, you know, walking 5, 10, 15, 20 blocks, is what you do. It's no big deal. And I think I was much better shape when I was living and working there uh, than here in San Antonio, because you're right, we drive everywhere. It's true. So you actually have, so a lot of people, you know, exercise just naturally fits into their daily life. But around here, you have to make an effort. You have to like, you know, sometimes, you know, here during, you know, lunch, we'll stop and just go for a little walk outside just to one, clear your head and two, get some steps in, you know, because, uh, and jobs also can be very sedentary and you have to make a conscious effort to take the stairs, to walk a little bit extra, to park the car a little bit farther from the door um, so that you can increase your physical activity that way too. When I've been sitting too long, my Apple watch bings and says, stand up, time to stand up. And I say to the watch, you mind your own business. <laughs> I actually yeah, think like, it's a pretty good reminder. I do stand up when that it happens. Good. It is important. So, uh, Dr. Pedraza, we've got a couple minutes left. And before we let you go, what haven't we talked about when it comes to hypertension and ways in which you'd like to help your patients get it under control? There is one thing also that uh, I'd like to mention. Uh, a lot of times uh, people don't get the diagnosed with sleep apnea. That's a common problem. Uh, 
uh, problem that could lead to uh, hypertension. So I learned that when I was doing training is to always ask for that. And then it's been shown that if you, you know, if you treat that like wearing a CPAP, for instance, that's been shown to help with uh, hypertension, uh, especially here in, uh, in San Antonio. It, it's, it's, it's very important to get that under control to, again, to reduce other problems, but really the hypertension can, can be controlled with just treating sleep apnea. So that's one thing I wanted to mention. Well, you're looking at a guy who was diagnosed with sleep apnea, had no idea I had it. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, my CO2 was very, very high. Turns out uh, sleep apnea was the cause. I sleep with one of those machines. I use a trilogy similar to a CPAP machine. Uh, and it's made a huge difference. When you have sleep apnea, even if you don't know you have it, uh, you don't stay awake during the day. You fall asleep at odd times. You don't feel right. And it does make a difference. So I appreciate you bringing that up. Oh, thanks. Yeah, I've noticed it. That's why I wanted to bring it up. And Dr. Charles, you get the last word. I, I would have to say 100%, especially those early morning high blood pressure, um, you know, people that tend to have really high readings in the morning, the sleep apnea is an excellent thing to check for. And you're right. I've, you know, I've seen it in my family members. And, and I remember even you, Ron, you know, a couple of times you being a, a little extra sleepy and going like, are, are you okay? Right. Um, and it having to do with that. And then, of course, if you have the sleep apnea, wear the CPAP because compliance is tough um, with patients sometimes. Got to pull the plug on you now. Thank you very much. And Dr. Ricardo Pedraza, thank you so much. For my co-host, Dr. Marisa Charles, I'm Ron Aaron. Thank you so much for joining us, Bacon, on WellMed Radio. (laughs) Thank you for listening to WellMed Radio, a service of WellMed Medical Management. We welcome your emails with suggestions and comments on this program at radio at wellmed.net. And please be sure to tune in next week for another edition of WellMed Radio. Imagine feeling and staying your best. If you have Medicare and Medicaid and live with day-to-day health issues, WellMed can help. Our care model can prevent problems before they start, so you stay healthy as possible. Dual special needs Medicare Advantage plans may offer services you don't get today and at lower out-of-pocket costs. Get lower prescription drug costs, dental and hearing services, and much more. To learn more, visit discoverwellmed.com or call 866-292-0375. What can give you a competitive edge in today's red-hot housing market? Rocket can. That's because Rocket Mortgage can give you a verified approval. It could help your offer stand out. Because when you find the perfect home, you don't want to lose it to anybody else. Rocket technology provides a rock-solid verification of your income, assets, and credit, giving sellers and their agents greater confidence in you. We've already helped over 1 million clients just like you reach their home financing goals this year alone. So remember this, what can help you buy the home you really want? Rocket can. Go to rocketmortgage.com or call us today at 8338-ROCKET. That's rocketmortgage.com or call 8338-ROCKET. A verified approval is based on an underwriter's analysis of your individual financial information, appraisal, and title report. Call for cost information and conditions. Equal housing lender licensed in all 50 states and MLSConsumerAccess.org number 3030.